0: Good morning. Uh, As you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Ezekiel. You can open your Bible and turn there. You can tap on it and scroll there, um, however type of device you have. Uh, I don't know if many of you have heard a sermon from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Heather and I were talking last night about how few uh, we've heard from the book of Ezekiel. It's not one that's preached on a whole lot. Um, The interesting thing about the book of Ezekiel, and there's a lot interesting about the book of Ezekiel, but the interesting thing about the book of Ezekiel is you're in a Protestant Christian church hearing the book preached, but you could certainly be in a Roman Catholic church and and you could hear it. Uh, It's not just recognized by Christians, though. Obviously, it's recognized by Judaism. Um, It is also recognized by the Armenian church, the Eastern Orthodox church, uh, the Baha'i faith. Uh, it is also recognized, though not part of the Quran, the uh, Prophet Ezekiel is going to be recognized by many Muslims. Uh, now, while that, and that's actually pretty much true for most prophets. The interesting thing about this is that this book to to have such wide enjoyment across these very different religions, folks. This is a wild book. I mean, it's wild. Uh, if anyone ever makes a movie called Ezekiel. Don't go watch it. Um, if, If they give it any other rating than an R, you know it's not based off of Ezekiel. And if they do give it the rating it deserves, which is an R, you don't need to see these things with your eyes. It will not be good or wholesome for you. And this isn't new, it's actually said among the rabbinic tradition that the rabbis would never allow a woman to read the book of Ezekiel. Um, it was also not allowed that any man under the age of 30 was allowed to read this book because of the things contained within it. And they weren't real comfortable about the age of 30, but they felt stuck because that was the age that most of the visions were given, the age of Ezekiel, and most of the visions were given to them. It is a wild book. And I've got to tell you this week, is I've... Uh, in, the, in the days before, is I've spent a lot of time with Ezekiel. He and I are friends. Um, I really have grown to love Ezekiel. Um, don't get me wrong. Ezekiel's a wild guy. I wouldn't leave him alone with my children. Uh, I, I don't think I would let him lead a youth retreat and certainly not a women's ministry devotional. Um, he's wild. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to see this. Ezekiel has more faith and perseverance in his pinky finger than I've ever thought of having. He loves God, infatuated with the glory of God, has a deep concern and empathy for the people of God. He believes God's Word. He follows God. He obeys God. He believes very deeply that what God promises will be true. And for that reason, you will love this man when we finish this morning. I'm sure of it. He has the unique privilege of being both a priest and a prophet who spent the first 30 years of his life in Jerusalem before being carted off to Babylon. Let's read the first verses of Ezekiel chapter 1 together and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll go to the Lord and, and ask for help uh, in prayer. Alright, so Ezekiel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the 30th year, most folks think that means of Ezekiel's life, which is kind of odd, but we're not going to dive into it now. In the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal. The heavens were opened. So he's in exile. Keep that open in your minds. He's in exile in Babylon by the Kabar Canal. The heavens were opened and I saw a vision of God. Keep that in mind. That's going to be very important. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And there goes the rest of the book of Ezekiel. Let's go to the Lord and ask for help. Oh God, thank You. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the treasure we have in this book. It blows my mind that we're sitting in a land that Ezekiel would not have even known of. We are gathered in a very comfortable setting and we are going to listen to a man who grew up on the other side of the globe In a very different time, tell us what it is we can believe about You past. What it is we can believe about You present. And what it is, praise God, we can believe about You future. That is an amazing gift from You. Oh God, let Your people now not squander the opportunity to hear the Word of God from the prophet Ezekiel. Thank You for this man's faith. I admire it deeply. Thank You, God, that You spoke. And now, God, we pray that by Your Spirit, the name of Christ through the book of Ezekiel will be be lifted high. Our shepherd, our King, will be loved and adored. And for those who are outside of Your flock, but praise God, are in the midst of God's children this morning, O God, by Your Word, through Your Spirit, would you save them? Lord, we ask these big grand things to you, our great God, knowing and believing you will accomplish all that you have deemed. We ask all these things to you, Father, through Christ, to now be applied by your Spirit through your Word. Amen. Well, I've given the title of this uh, sermon, God Strengthens. Uh, you're going to be shocked by this, but I sat around a long time and thought of that title. I titled it that way because Ezekiel means I bet you guessed it. God strengthens. Um, so, uh, the takeaway this morning is that God strengthens His people with the promise of His Word. So let's quickly run up. If you're landing right here this morning, you, you've you heard the name Ezekiel before, but you're not real sure. You're really not that familiar with the Bible. That is just fine. You've found yourself in the right place. Let me try to catch you up with the time period we're talking about, okay? So, I always think you can start this way on a timeline. If you start with Abraham on one side, and you start with the cross on the other, then we would be right in the middle. 2,000 years past would be Abraham. 2,000 years forward would be Jesus. And I think I've got... There we go. So there's Jesus. Take us forward. Oh, we'll go. There we go. All right. Jesus, 2,000 years. Present day. Here we go. Perfect. All right. So, Jesus is right in the middle of Abraham and right in the middle of us. Now, keep going. Now, if you look at the time period between Abraham and Jesus, so that's 2,000 years, you can split that. I love how the Bible does this for us. You can split that right down the middle, pretty much, and you are going to find yourself with a guy by the name of David. Pretty important guy. Alright? So... About halfway in between that time, um, so you got the kingdom of David, God's people all in Israel, about halfway in between that time, uh, what we see is the kingdom will fall apart. And in, so in 9.31, we see the kingdom of Jerusalem divided. Jerusalem is the southern part and Israel will be the northern part. And then, the very next thing that happens, after years of prophecy, promising, and that's where these books that we've looked at have said, they keep telling the northern kingdom, keep it up, you're going to be carted off. Keep it up, you're going to be carted off. And sure enough, the Assyrians take them over. Israel is led into captivity by Assyria in 722. That leaves who? Well, if the north is gone, that leaves the south. And us in the southern part of the United States says, yeah, that figures. Uh, but, uh, so up in, and so then, uh, they are there till when? 586 B.C., the exact same thing happens to Jerusalem. And that matters a lot because what was situated in Jerusalem? The temple. And what was the temple? It was an amazing, amazing gift of God moving on human history to say, I will dwell among my people there in the temple. And in 586, Jerusalem fell. And in 586, the temple fell. And in 586, a lot of people were carted off to Babylon. Now, uh, Ezekiel would have been carted off a little bit earlier than 586. He would already have been in Babylon at the time that this happened. The people... Of Israel were devastated and they're confused. How is it we can be the people of God and God could let this happen? How is it we could have the temple and this could happen? Now, one of the reasons they're confused is they had been lied to by the teachers of God's Word to tell them, well, if you have the temple, this cannot happen. It was a bold faced lie. The people wanted to know, has God forgotten us? And I don't even have to guess. With the faces looking at me this morning, just the number of them, there are folks in here asking some similar questions. How is it that God could let this bad thing happen to this good person? How is it that these horrific, evil events watching displayed on our evening news How could a good God let those occur? How is it that if God is for me, I'm going through what I'm going through? Folks, those are the questions that Ezekiel was answering. Because those were the questions that the people of God were asking. You've come to the right place at the right time with the right book. What you are going to see answered by the book of Ezekiel this morning is nothing shy of the Christian Gospel. I think it is the answer that Ezekiel gives the people then. I think it is the best answer we can give to those questions today. It's as if the, the, the Bible pretty much says to us, you know what, before I give you a clear, detailed answer, I want to instead teach you how to frame the questions. And I think that's what you're going to see this morning. So let's jump off, verse 4. Chapter 1, get ready, because Ezekiel begins with a bang. Alright, this is a vision he's seeing. You might feel like you're seeing visions after this. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures and this was their appearance they had a human likeness but each had four faces and each had four wings you got four creatures each has four faces each has four wings yeah you're, you're with me already now i hope you drank some coffee verse 10 we're going to skip as for the likeness of their faces each had a human face the four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. They got a human face, a lion's face, an eagle's face, and an ox's face. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Verse 12. Wherever the Spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and from among the living creatures. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. And when they went, they went in and from the four directions without turning as they went. Over their heads of the living creatures there was a likeness of an expanse shining like all inspiring crystals spread out above their heads. Verse 24. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. Verse 28. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, of Yahweh. Okay, what in the world, right? What in the world? Well, part of the answer there is, it's not in this world. That's kind of part of the point. Here's what you're seeing. This is the Bible doing the best it can to describe... God. This is the Bible doing the best it can to describe God. We bear His likeness, but He is so vast in comparison to us that this is the closest we can get in language to try to describe Him. So what does it tell us? It says that there's four living creatures with four faces. What does that tell us about God? It means He's aware of all things. That's what we call God's omniscience. His knowledge of all things. Then we're told that He has a human face, which makes sense because we're made in His likeness. But it also tells us that He's got the face of an eagle and a lion and an ox. Well, we see here that God is wild, we see that God is majestic and we see that God is strong. And the way that he moves in any direction as if he doesn't even have to mediate a turn, that tells us that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. Well, why open up this way? It's crucial that you get this to understand Ezekiel. I think it's crucial you understand, that you get this to understand God. Israel had rejected God. They had said they did not need God. Ezekiel starts off by explaining that God is not like them. He was saying to God, and hear me, He is saying to you, I am not like you. I am massive. Folks, God is not like us. If we saw Him, He would solidly freak us out. Show me a man with unsoiled drawers that says he has encountered God face to face. I show you a liar. God is vast. He's dangerous. He's immense. He's intense. He never tires. His power is endless energy. He's everywhere all the time. He sees all things, knows all things, and controls all things. He created the cosmos with a word. Take the sun. It holds everything around us into being. Every strong planet around us is held into being because the sun is so massive. God had the idea of the sun. And it's not like God had an idea to bring about the sun. It's that His idea brought about the sun. The sun is what happens when God gives an ounce of middle energy. He is massive. He does not change, has never changed, cannot change. He's perfect. He's right. He's always good. He is not like us. He is God. That should wake you up at least. Um, why that way? That's how Ezekiel wants you to start. He wants you to go, Whoa. That's the start. That's Ezekiel. That's God saying, I am God. A life-changing book for me, and I've quoted this many times for you, Probably 15 years ago, I read R.C. Sproul's Holiness of God <laughs> just destroyed me. He said this, he said, The failure of modern evangelicalism is the failure to understand the holiness of God. I think he is dead right. I think he's dead right. I believe with all my heart that if a church settles on the immensity of God, then and that only happens through his word. I'm telling you, a new day is on the horizon. Because then and only then do people actually encounter God. And what happens when people encounter God? Well, unlike our Christian subculture that pictures it with people with hands raised and smiling faces, let me show you what happens more often, most often in the Bible when people encounter God. Ezekiel 1, verse 28. You just saw all that. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. Spohr in the same book, Holiness of God, says the clearest sensation that a human being has when he experiences the holy is an overpowering, overwhelming sense of creatureliness. That is, when we are in the presence of God we are humbled and become most aware of ourselves as creatures. The clearest sign that you have experienced God is humility. A proud church has not experienced God. And let me say, they will not experience God. But when God is seen, in all of His glory, and all of His greatness, the people of God will be floored and they will be humbled. Ezekiel starts with the first component of the Gospel. And that is God. God is massive, He's perfect, and He's holy. The first component of the Gospel is God. I think we've got... You see that in chapter 1. But one of the things that will always happen, anytime you experience God exactly as Sproul stated, exactly as Ezekiel did, you're going to experience yourself. Because you're going to compare. You have no other way to do this. He's so perfect. You're going to look at yourself and realize, I'm nothing like that. And that leads us to the second component of the Gospel. The second part of Ezekiel's argument found in Ezekiel chapter 2, and that is man. Alright, so verse 1 of chapter 2. He said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke with me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. Now, just that's a subtle point, but get that. The only way he can even stand up is that God gives him the energy to stand up. That's what happens when you encounter God. Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this day. God refers to Ezekiel as the son of man. Now, that is there's a lot going on there, but one of the most important things is Ezekiel is a representative of the class of all mankind. Stand up and represent mankind. That's what he's saying to him. And, and not just is he representing mankind, but he says, I'm sending you to Israel. And Israel was what? Well, they were the people of God. Their job was to represent God to the pagan nations around them. I've said a, a few times as we've walked through the Old Testament that you could sum up the Old Testament in as two stories of two, uh, of, of two sons. One, Adam. And the other one, Israel. Adam is the first story. It's recorded in the very first three chapters of Genesis And what happens there? Well, God shows Adam great blessing. He gives him great favor. And what does Adam do? He sins. And what does God do? He judges him. Where Adam enjoyed the presence of God because of Adam's sin and judgment of God. He was told to leave the presence of God. The second story is the story of Israel. It's a promise made to Abraham. Like Adam, God shows great favor, blessing, love to Israel and allows them uh, to actually enjoy His presence that is mediated to them through the temple. And yet, like Adam, Israel does what? They reject God. And like Adam, who was asked to leave the Garden of Eden, made to leave the Garden of Eden, so now the people of God are being forced off of the, the land that God had given them because of their rejection of God. So these people, who are really the best that mankind had to offer, how do they represent mankind? How does God describe them? He calls them rebels. He calls them rebels. Look with me at the, uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give to you. And I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll. A scroll of a book was in it, and He he spread it before me. It had a writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation. That means deep sorrow and mourning and woe. The representative of all mankind stands before the Almighty God. The Almighty God says, here's what you need to digest and give to the rest of the man of all of mankind. What is it, God? It's lamentation. It's mourning. It's woe. It's judgment. It's judgment. When God speaks, He speaks judgment. This is the third component of the Christian story. It's the story of judgment. It's easily seen in the book of Ezekiel because the almost the exact same passage is given to us in Ezekiel 3 and then bookended for us in Ezekiel 33. So we get God chapter 1, man chapter 2 in judgment all the way to chapter 33. Let me read to you that section of chapter 3. Verse 17. Son of man... up. I... I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from My mouth, you shall give them warning from Me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But his blood I will acquire it on your head. But if... You warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way. He shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Listen, Christians are often maligned for a fire and brimstone type of message. And at times, to be quite honest, we've been fairly chastised. Because at times we cast judgment with our words. And the Bible never asks us to cast judgment with our words. God alone casts judgment. But the Bible doesn't just ask. The Bible commands that we warn of judgment. If it seems odd to you that two-thirds of the book of Ezekiel is judgment, let me be frank with you and tell you that probably means you haven't spent a long time reading the entire Bible from front to back. I promise you, if you'll take the time to do it, start at the very beginning and go to the very end. I know it's a long book, but there are longer books and people read them, right? Just read it. Divide it up. Go to our website every day. We'll tell you exactly what to read and in one year you'll have it done. Just giving you some help. Alright, if you do that, I promise you, you're going to walk away and realize that two-thirds of the Bible is judgment. That's what happens when man meets God. Well, these chapters contain some very colorful ways to describe the grotesque nature of Israel's sin. We're not going to look at all of them in mixed company together this morning, but I want to take you to a couple of the saddest passages. First in Ezekiel chapter ten, verse uh chapters ten and eleven. Remember, Ezekiel he's he's different than a lot of prophets. He was a priest, so he actually spent many of his years, at least a dozen years, in the uh temple performing his priestly duties. He loved the temple. And God gives him the gut wrenching vision of God departing from his temple in Ezekiel chapter ten. Verse eighteen. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood stood above the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. This should sound very familiar. It's the exact same vision of God as Ezekiel 1. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate, the east gate of the house of the Lord. And the glory of God of Israel was over them. God left the temple. Chapter 11, verse 22. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings. I love hearing your Bibles turn. I'm telling you, I absolutely love it. Uh, Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them. And the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. This is a dreadful account. This is horrible news for mankind. Our best representatives, the nation of Israel, where God actually came to dwell. And what is the indictment of God upon that project? I will not dwell here any longer. He leaves. You'll notice that the account intentionally parallels the account of Eden. Who was it who held the gates of Eden closed with a sword of fire but the cherubim? Who is it that escorts the glory of God out of the temple and out of Jerusalem? It's the cherubim. God is clear. He will not dwell with sinful man. God is serious about judgment. He often asked Ezekiel to act this out. These are some really weird accounts. Heather and I were laughing about some of these last night. Uh, there's a lot of my favorites, actually. But one of them is, he tells Ezekiel, basically, you just go in and out every day and pack up your stuff and leave. And then come back. And then when people say to you, what are you doing? You say, I'm getting to do what you're getting ready to do. I'm packing up my stuff. Um, I, Heather said, you know, that's kind of weird, but he actually had to do that, right? I said, yeah, can you imagine? What are you doing today? Same thing did yesterday. I'm packing it all up. I, I hate moving. I hate it. That would be judgment of God on my soul if he said, You got to move day in and day out for 30 days straight. Just take me, Lord. Just take me. That was it. One of the saddest accounts comes in chapter 24. And I got to tell you, this this is the point when Ezekiel to me just melted on my heart. Chapter 24, verse 15. Remember, we're still in the judgment section. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of Man. Again, he's a representative. Behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. <laughs> imagine. First, imagine a three year old comes up to you and says, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Now, besides the fact that you'd be impressed by their grammar, uh, you would probably not be but too worried, right? Now imagine the most powerful person you can imagine walks into your room and says, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you with a stroke. Now imagine the God of the universe who you actually have encountered turns to you and says, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you with a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep. You shall not nor shall your tears run down. Sigh, but don't do it aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban. Put on your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening, my wife died. And the next morning, I did as I was commanded. What's the delight of Ezekiel's eyes? This man who had everything taken from him? His wife. God walks in one day and says, She's gone. And He says, You aren't going to mourn or cry at all. Now just swallow that. Now that's one thing in a Western culture, because we kind of have this weird thing about... we. We don't want to really cry in public. It's kind of strong to hold it in. That's not necessarily going to be like that in the East even today. You cry, you grieve out loud in public or something's wrong with you. That's the culture Ezekiel's in. The only people who don't grieve in public are those who don't love the ones who are lost. And you're asking a man whose wife's described as the delight of his eyes to go about among his people and not even shed a tear. And this man of faith looks at God and says, I'll do it. And does exactly as he's commanded to do. Why? He's a representative of all mankind. Like Ezekiel's wife was the delight of his eyes, the bride of God, Israel, was the delight of his eyes. Like Ezekiel's wife was taken from him because of Israel's disobedience, they will be taken from God. Now God, like Ezekiel, will mourn, but not publicly. Instead, God will publicly judge His people as if they were not His people in full view of the pagan nations, even by the pagan nations. God Judges. Okay. So God is holy. We put these together. Man has rejected God. And man will be judged. Now I want you to look at that picture right there. You've got to get this about biblical theology. Look at it. That is all the biblical theology that most men and women who walk the earth will ever know. Every man, every woman will know that, I promise you. Every man and every woman will realize there's a God. And every man and every woman will realize that they are not God and they deserve His judgment. Get that. You have to get that. You won't care at all about evangelism if you don't get that. And you will not care about the holiness of God if you don't get that. Praise God. There's Ezekiel 34. I'm telling you, if you look at that picture right now, and I said there's no more pictures coming, folks, that should be the worst news you would ever hear. But praise God, there is coming in Ezekiel chapter 34. Read with me verse 11 of chapter 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold I. I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. So God who has scattered His people will shepherd His people. God claims, now hear this claim, I trust no one, Short short of God Himself to shepherd the people of God. I'll rescue them. I'll heal them. I'll feed them. I'll take care of them. I will get them home. Now, keep reading. Let's go to verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd. You're going to set up a shepherd? I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, wait just a second. You just said that you were going to shepherd your people. We just heard you say you were going to feed them. You were going to take care of them. Now, you got somebody else, a servant taking care of them? Which is it, God? You going to take care of the people, or is your servant going to take care of the people? A lot of faiths that can read Ezekiel. I am telling you, the Christian faith is the only one that can make any sense out of Ezekiel 34, the only faith. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I want you to hear from a man. He's from Nazareth. goes by the name of Jesus. Happens to be born of the line of David. He says this in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. What is Jesus claiming? Oh, buddy, this is good. He is not just claiming... That He's a good shepherd. But He's claiming that. He's explicitly denying that He is a hired hand. You see how helpful that is to Ezekiel 34? Jesus doesn't find enough to say I'm a shepherd. He explicitly denies that He's a hired hand. I am the one promised. These are my sheep because these are my Father's sheep. And I and my Father are, you can finish it, one. This is a massive turn in the book of Ezekiel. Because we get a promise that God is going to shepherd his sheep, and we get an answer that the line, it's going to come, the shepherd's going to come from the line of David. That means there's only one way. There's only one way for this to happen. You've got to get a man who's God, who's born of the line of David, to shepherd the sheep. But now, notice. That just because Jesus comes, and we do, we now have God, we have man, and we have Christ. But notice that just because Jesus comes, that doesn't mean judgment is gone just because Jesus is here. Unless this shepherd is willing to do what? Lay down his life for who? The sheep. He's got to protect the sheep from who? The wolves. Here's the ironic thing about the Christian message. Christ protects the sheep from the wolves. Well, who are the wolves? The sheep! That's what He's doing. Christ is consistently taking wolves, owning their punishment, and making them sheep. So, i I got to tell you, if you're here this morning... And you're saying, I don't, I don't, I don't like churches a whole lot because I think they're a bunch of wolves. You couldn't be more right. This church is full of them, right? But by God's grace, we're praying. He's making us a lot more like sheep and a lot less like our old self wolves, right? That that's the promise. So how is it that judgment goes away? Judgment goes away because Christ owns the judgment. Christ owns the judgment. I think we have that on the next slide. As God saves His people, His people will not be left unchanged. His people will not be left unchanged. There will be a response, a change in His people. Look with me at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, (laughs) It's not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations to which you came. Verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you. Listen to that language. I'm going to put my spirit within you and I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. That's called wolf turning into sheep, and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules, you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be My people, and I will be your God. So there will always be a response. Inasmuch as Christ touches a life there will be a response. But notice, that response does not owe itself to the merit of any man. There's nobody among the sheep going, I got in here because I turned myself into a, to a, from a wolf to a sheep. Every person has the same testimony. I used to be a wolf, but by God's grace, He and He alone made me a sheep. God changes us. How? Well, while man is dead in his sin, and I mean dead, dead, dead in his sin, God is massive in his grace. He brings about new life by his Spirit, and here's how he does it. This is why we believe it with everything here. Through his word. Ezekiel 37. Brother Tim Hooser asked me this morning if I was going to sing Ezekiel, called him dry bones this morning. Um, I told him no. Um, so I'm sorry if you're disappointed, Tim. But here's the closest I can get. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Now remember, you've got to situate this in a chronological order. Not all the prophets are like this, but Ezekiel is. he. He walks it. This is chapter thirty-seven. It's after chapter thirty-four. It's after chapter thirty-six. It's important. This there. This is chapter thirty-seven. The hand of the Lord is upon me. He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. See, we don't get freaked out enough. We read stuff like that again. I set you out by yourself in the midst of a a valley full of bones. You will be upset. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. So he got close. He was close enough to say there's nothing on them. That's what the dry part means. If if you're not into biology much like I'm not, I just find it sick. Uh, But if you're not in it much, then the only thing I know about this biologically is if it's dry, it's not alive. Right? Now I know this because it works for my grass. Dry grass, not live grass. Right? That, that, that works. Please don't walk out and that's the only thing you learned this morning. These bones were dead, 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 dead. And He said, Son of Man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord, You know. <laughs> that's the right answer. Because that was a tough question. Because I'm going to be looking at it going, You know, actually, I don't know much, God, about biology, but these look dry to me. And dry means, Ezekiel says, God, you know. Do you realize a congregation of believers in Christ is a testament of dead skeletons sitting in pews and God is slowly adding flesh in a heartbeat? That's what we are. Every one of us. They'll feel the shame. Don't be upset about it. I'm calling you a dead, old dead bone. That's it. That's it. That's what it is. The Bible's calling you that. But I am too. How does this happen? Well, he pulled out his guitar. And no. All right, verse 4. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. That's got to be weird. And I, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, Son of man. And say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, oh, breathe, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, and they were an exceedingly great army. God brings life by his Spirit through his word. That's how he restores. And as He restores, He brings hope. As God restores, He brings hope. But our hope, it's not a, just a big word that we use. It's a certain type of hope. It's described for us in chapters 40 through 48. I I believe that the main point of those chapters is this hope. And that is the hope of every person is that God will one day dwell with man. The hope of every person who believes in Christ is that God will one day dwell with man. The final chapters of the book of Ezekiel are a picture of the future temple. What is the temple? What was it? We said it over and over. Why does the temple matter? Because it is where God dwells with man. Do you realize that our hope, your hope, the answer to your questions as to how God can allow this, what's going on, what is this all about, what are you doing, is that God is going to one day across the entire cosmos, He's going to turn the cosmos into His own temple. And the world will become the place where God dwells. God will dwell with man. Now, Ezekiel 40 through 48 has a lot of weird stuff. But I'm telling you, it all comes down to this promise God will dwell with man again. Friend, you may be here this morning and you have never, ever. Listened or heeded the Word of God and the warning of God about your sin. Heed it this morning. God will judge you. Do not let Ezekiel 33 be the final chapter of your life. Don't let it. God will judge you. But He has a shepherd king who is ready to save your soul. And He will take you in the deadness of your deadness, And by his word, he will bring life. And I'm telling you, that is going to be life for us one day. We are going to dwell with God one day. This was Ezekiel's answer to a horrific tragedy. His answer was God is God, man is man, judgment will happen, Christ is coming. He will change us. And one day, God will make it all right again. That is the Word of God to you this morning. Wherever you are, that is the Word of God. Heed it and obey.